Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 555 on Tuesday, the 5th of December, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan, and I'm both all alone, and I've forgotten to write any menu items. So we're going to skip over that, and we're going to head uh, straight into some follow-up. Good news for the first follow-up story. Gosh, that sounded like James May. I'm so, so sorry. Um, Volta Trucks. Volta Trucks, uh, we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, they uh, were in financial difficulties after their their sole engine and um, powertrain uh, supplier went uh, went bust over the summer, causing delays. Going to have to have a significant bit of re-engineering, uh, if you remember rightly, uh, to to the chassis for everything to fit and everything to work again. It's going to set them back quite a bit. That was causing issues. Uh, what's happened now is a venture fund that was previously a large inventor uh, investor, pardon me, uh, in the Swedish parent company Volta Trucks AB uh, has bought all of the assets um, of the entire UK arm uh, and has has founded a new company called Volta Commercial Vehicles Limited, um, and that's good. They're now going to continue. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna set all of all of that up. Where they're saying they're pleased to have safeguarded the future of Volta trucks. That's uh, that's good news. Um, they did when, by the way, whenever they went under, they had uh, five thousand vehicles on the order books uh, and an investment of around two point six million. So let's just see what happens. Uh, the good news about this, of course, is that it's uh, uh, it's it's good for the the workforce uh, as well as as well as their customers and their partners. And uh, yeah, wish them all of the best uh, success uh, in the next little while and until they're on the market. Uh, Other follow-up, a very quick one. Um, We knew that this was going to come whenever Wales changed the speed limits, uh, the the sort of default speed limit uh, within towns to 20 miles an hour. Uh, what that's meant is that some, uh, obviously, some roads have very, very strange allocations, and it turns out that the A four two 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 in Abathin in the Vale of Glamorgan, uh, according to this BBC article, um, includes stretches of twenty, thirty, forty, and sixty uh, in the space of one point eight miles. Um, it's going to be reviewed. I mean, the, the Welsh government is saying that there'll need to be a bedding in period, and some of these will be revised. And I'm sure that this will be one of the ones uh, on the list to be uh, to be appraised uh, to to see what's going to happen uh, there. So yeah, there's some parts some parts of the world where that's just not quite uh, not quite quite working. Uh, one last thing uh, is that the Welsh government has been um, criticised by the Office of Statistics Regulation. Um, after claims that these that the twenty mile an hour zones would only add a minute to journey times, uh, the OSR queried how statistics supporting the claim were presented. In response, the Welsh government said it welcomed the input and had made more information available online, uh, which sounds very much like Yabu sucks. We've done it now, so there's nothing you can do about it. But maybe that's just me being a little bit uh, over cynical. Anyhow, let's move on uh, from that and move on into new news. Although, to be perfectly honest, it doesn't feel particularly new. This is kind of on the borderline news. 
uh, this one. Uh, CEO Thomas Schaefer, you can tell where this is going from here, uh, has confirmed that there will be job cuts made across Volkswagen, um, claiming the company is no longer competitive uh, due to its high cost and low output. Previously, um, Volkswagen had pledged not to carry out any dismissals until 2029. But it turns out that Schaefer, in a meeting uh, with with senior managers um, uh, in the middle of a, a big savings program, from earlier in the year, um, he said they would take advantage of the demographic curve uh, to reduce staff numbers uh, by offering partial or early retirements. Remember, in Germany, the union, um, uh, the union presence and the works council very, very strong uh, in big and, to be honest, even medium-sized companies. Uh, so it's impossible to to sort of go out and, and uh, it's very, very difficult to make people redundant to sack people in, in Germany. Um, so by offering partial or early retirement, that's one way around it. Obviously, the challenge there is you do lose an awful lot of sort of, sort of uh, corporate wisdom uh, that way, and you do have to make sure that, that everything's managed properly, he says, in consultant mode. So, yes, that's what they're, they're, they're looking. Uh, and they're saying uh, Gunnar Killen, the human resources board member, who's, who's a brave man, uh, saying, we need to finally be brave and honest enough to throw things overboard that are being duplicated within the company or are simply ballast we don't need for good results. You do sometimes feel they could get rid of entire brands uh, under that sort, of, that sort of basis, don't we? So, yeah, not great at Volkswagen. Um, they're, they're trying to have immediate freezes on spending, all these kinds of things, um, whilst at the same time um, trying to invest in R&D and to run have both um, internal combustion and uh, and EV programs running at the same time. So uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Schaefer, however, has also said that the company needed, needed Volkswagen team spirit more than ever. What's better for team spirit than getting rid of loads of them? Earlier this week, the SMMT held its 106th annual dinner in London. And as part of the proceedings, they were talking about uh, some of the investment uh, and some of the changes that's going on in the automotive sector in the UK. Uh, they were saying that the automotive manufacturing in the UK secured £20 billion in investment over the course of 2023, which was more than the previous seven years combined. That private sector's commitment, um, bolstered by some of that government funding as part of advanced manufacturing plans, uh, make sure that the UK remains uh, a global manufacturing innovation and trade hub. Uh, and uh, they were talking about um, the the worries about tariffs uh, between the UK and the EU. I think we've, we've talked about that uh, enough over the last little while. But what really uh, was important and what sort of sort of uh, brings up and emphasizes the, uh, the what, what Andrew and I have been saying for a while, that the investment's great, but is it working towards something, something proper? Um, and they were talking about the government's newly published advanced manufacturing strategy. So finally, finally, there is some sort of industrial strategy visible uh, to, to those of us um, outside the, the center of government. Um, because that's what's really needed. Uh, I, I, I haven't had a chance to read the strategy yet myself, have a look at it. 
Um, but even just having one and knowing what the aim is uh, and, and sort of what good looks like is, is a big and important step in all of this. Uh, up until now, there's been an awful lot of there's been an awful lot of been an awful lot of words. There's been some money thrown around, but there hasn't been a, a, a clear story uh, about where that money's going and where that what it's intended what it's intended to be to be used for uh, in the wider scheme of things, as opposed to just over the next four or five years or any of these things. Um, so that is that is some pretty pretty good news. Generally, SMMT being being pretty upbeat. Um, really, the tariffs being their their big bugbear on that. Uh, you'll notice that we're not covering. Uh, speaking of SMMT, not doing the new car registration figures uh, this week. Uh, we'll do them next. Sorry, they they came out whilst I was in whilst I was asleep, and I just didn't have time to 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 read them, consume them, uh, and look over them properly uh, before recording this morning. It's one of the the joys of time zones, which means that these days the podcast is recorded with a, a cup of tepid coffee and, and, and not a beer. Meanwhile, elsewhere in Europe, um, ACEA, the European uh, Automotive uh, Lobbying Group, uh, which whose chairman is, uh, whose president, pardon me, is currently Renault boss uh, Luca De Meo, um, he, they would like to create uh, a, a, an equivalent, a European equivalent to the to the Kaikar um, for small urban EVs. Uh, I think this is a really interesting uh, idea. Um, as I'm sure you all know, because you listen to the motoring podcast, a Kaikar in in Japan is a vehicle built to very strict um, size, uh, you know, sort of footprint and uh, weight and power and engine capacity limits uh, which means that it gets certain breaks in terms of uh, insurance um, taxation uh, declaring how much space you have to park it all these kind of things I think this is a really good one because it will bring back a sort of segment between the between small cars and the uh, oh what are they called quadricycles that's the one uh, and the sort of powered quadricycles uh, that that we we have these days. Obviously, powered quadricycles. I mean the Citroen Ami, uh, the Renault Twizy, um, and the various the the, the various rebadgings uh, of of both of those vehicles. It would allow something that's a little bit more grown up, but not completely a car. Um, if everyone's working within very strict limits. Um, it, it's actually really good because it does sort of normally boost innovation uh, whenever you're doing that kind of thing, and also means that people will know what the what the boundaries are regarding costs and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a really interesting one. I think that these vehicles are not necessarily everybody goes, oh, you know, a city car uh, and small urban EVs. Really, where they're useful, this kind of car is actually outside of cities. Um, in cities, uh, you have there, there there is hopefully uh, public transport uh, and other ways of, of of getting about, and everything's much closer. However, whenever you move out into the countryside, there is actually a space for vehicles like this um, to make it easier for just general mobility. Um, we've talked about that before. We talked about it when we were talking about the the uh, the Tokyo Mobility Show uh, this year. Um, that 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 kind of uh, extra uh, or suburban 
vehicle is a really is a useful segment and that's something that this could fill i think it's a really good way to bring costs down and therefore vehicles back within a sort of within an ev uh, ev area i think that that's that's it's it's a it's a big deal and i can understand why it's it's uh it's sort of being brought up uh in france as well so be really interested to see how that goes and whether that actually comes to any sort any form of fruition at all Uh, moving to the other end of the automotive spectrum from small electric key cars is uh, small is, uh, is small cars with pop bang exhausts. Uh, there's been a landmark court ruling, uh, and it was brought by the DVS the DVSA, the Driver and Vehicle Standards Agency, um, against an aftermarket tuner called AET Motorsport. Um, uh, and as a result, AET have been fined for modifying cars uh, with a uh, DCAT exhaust, so removing the catalytic converter, and a pop-bang ECU map. Uh, the DVSA's market surveillance unit, or people who sit and read adverts, found that the West Yorkshire firm AET Motorsport, according to this car article, uh, was openly advertising DCAT exhaust systems and noise-generating ECU remaps. The unit's investigators then engaged AET Motorsport to carry out these modifications on a Ford Fiesta ST, of course. Um, so yes, they, they did it, uh, and as well as that, uh, they pointed out that there was no... Um, uh, they didn't give any warnings uh, about how this this was not something that you should use uh, on the road. Uh, as a result, they were found guilty of fitting an unsuitable vehicle part to a vehicle which would make it illegal to be used on the road. Uh, and the company was fine uh, was hit with fines and costs of seven thousand two hundred and thirty four pounds. Um, yes, uh, important one that. Do 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 be careful around that kind of thing. The trouble is, the well. Uh, Ugh, we all know what the trouble is, don't we? Um, the trouble is that, that people going around um, and and being a nuisance uh, with with things like this um, does make everybody else who who does other other mods and to be honest, the entire uh, the entire industry around sort of vehicle improvements and tweaks at whatever level uh, gets put under. Well, it should be under scrutiny anyway. But it gets put under an awful lot of pressure and, and put under under threat uh, because we know what happens is that there's, there'll be there'll be a politician-led backlash, uh, which will will leave absolutely no room for any kind of uh, uh, no room for any kind of reasonableness in the pursuit of Daily Mail headlines. Other newspapers are available. Quick one here. Uh, I noticed during the week Geely Holdings and uh, Neo have signed a strategic partnership agreement on battery swapping technology. As we know, Neo very big on battery swapping. Um, not uh, to repeat things we've said before. Not primarily as your primary uh, recharge um, or, or refueling uh, uh, strategy. Um, but useful for longer journeys, for uh, for road trips, all of that kind of thing. Um, so, and Geely, of course, very large uh, player in, in automotive these days. 
and so the two Chinese companies gathering together to to agree on battery standards, swapping technology, network expansion operation, uh, swappable model development and battery asset management is is a big deal. Neo has been a little island in this so far. So pairing up with someone as big uh, as Geely is is very uh, is very interesting indeed. Worth keeping an eye on that. I don't think we're going to see see anything out of it straight away, but I think it's going to be an interesting one to bear in mind over the next couple of years. One last news story. I'm mentioning this here not because we've not covered it before, but I think that this is a particularly rugged test uh, of it. Um, it's an article from uh, Jalopnik uh, by Aaron Marcus. Uh, who's saying the first road in the U.S. that charges your EV while you drive opens in Detroit. We've seen this before. We've seen uh, stretches of road in... We've talked about stretches of road in Belgium, I think, uh, as well as a stretch of road in uh, in Israel. Uh, I think why this warrants mention... So this road is near the Michigan Central Station Complex, which is uh, Ford's innovation hub. Um, it's a fantastic-looking building, that Michigan. That Michigan Central Station, it really is. But there's a quarter mile long uh, stretch stretch of road with uh, that that will work via induction charging uh, if you've got special specially modified uh, EV. It didn't. Pro- it, it doesn't provide loads of charging. It doesn't. Um, it can give you know 16 kilowatts to a test van traveling at nine miles an hour along it. But it's a small. But it, it does give some charge, and it is is possible. I know that nine miles an hour is not. Well, to be honest, in cities that's pretty representative. Uh, let's let's bear that in mind. It's interesting because it's in a part of the country where, to be honest, the weather and the climate is pretty rough. So this is a this is a really good test of of the durability of this kind of system. There's big frost heaves. The roads get pulled by by much heavier vehicles than they do uh, in much of the rest of the world, uh, and and all of these kind of things. So again, uh, this might reappear. This might just disappear after the first round of press releases. But it'll be interesting to keep an eye on it. And it's interesting to see that this isn't just that this is being tested by big manufacturers, um, and not just on test tracks either. I mean, they could just ease. They could just as easily have put in a quarter of a mile strip of strip of tarmac uh, on a test track somewhere and run it. But actually, putting it on a, under a public road uh, where it will be driven on and treated just like the rest of the road, the world, like um, you know, it'll be plowed for snow and all these kinds of things. Uh, then it'll uh, submitted to salt, all all that kind of thing. It'll be interesting to see uh, what happens and just how well the performance keeps up. Uh, over time. So I think that's a really good real world test of uh, induction charging roads. That's it for follow up and new news. As ever, that brings us to Guilt Minute. Uh, quick break in the show where we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running. Uh, if you feel the motoring podcast is worth a small consideration every month, then you can become a patron. Different levels of patron include different levels of commitment from us to you, including being able to watch the show recorded live. We also have a small range of merchandise in our spring store, from stickers to mugs and t shirts. If you don't have any spare cash, and we do completely understand, then you can help us by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released, and by liking and rating the show in whichever way your podcast supplier lets you. Uh, if you've done all of that, or even if you've done none of that, um, then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. 
new new car news yet and of course there's one new new vehicle which has been uh, which has 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 been dominating all of the new vehicle uh, news cycles uh, we're not going to talk about that uh, what we're going to talk about instead is the Dacia Bigster so the Dacia Bigster is a bigger Dacia there hmm? you can have that one for free Dacia marketing people uh, the <laughs> Um, it's a 4.6 meter long Ford Cougar rival, uh, and they're saying that the pricing is going to start below t below forty thousand um, pounds. The Bigster is expected to arrive in. T I just can't say that normally. I'm so sorry. Uh, the Bigster is will arrive in 2025, uh, and it's uh, it, it's the the start of Dacia's push into slightly bigger segments than the areas it's been in uh, so far. The biggest Dacia there is at the minute is a 4.3 meter long uh, Duster SUV, which we're going to talk about in a minute. It's worth remembering Dacia, highest selling automotive brand in France. I know it's Renault owned, but it's just worth saying that it is a a volume manufacturer. Um, so this is going to go up against things like the Peugeot 5008, Skoda Kodiak, and uh, yeah, significant, significant jump, uh, certainly in size, uh, over over other offerings. It's chunky, um, very much like the the uh, Kia EV9. That's what it makes me think of. It's that very square, blocky kind of kind of toddler's plastic toy car uh, look and feel to it um, that's not actually a it, it's that sort of blocks but rounded on the edges that was actually meant as a compliment I know it sounded like I was being dismissive I really wasn't um, so yeah so it has it's 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 got that chunky chunky look that that that, that um, pseudo off-roaders uh, are, are attempting to have um, no matter what size they are, uh, it's going to be based on the same platform, by the way, as the as the Nissan X Trail and the Renault Austral. Um, but it's being engineered right from the start with a focus on uh, affordability. So it'll be interesting to see just how clever they've been um, reusing parts, all that kind of, uh, all, all that kind of thing. Uh, usual thing with Dacia. Uh, the vehicle is cheaper than most of the rest in a segment, but also at the upper end of size uh, as well. There are a couple of other things uh, mentioned. One of which is that uh, Dacia uh, isn't is getting rid of its its selling commercial vehicles. Previously, it's in other markets. It sold the Docker van and things. Um, I guess that that's all been. They've said no, we're not doing that. Everything's going to be rolled into the Kangoo platform, uh, and it's all it's all going to be done via that. They're saying they're not pushing up on a, a, a f that they're not moving away from affordability, but they are definitely moving uh, very much into a, a consumer-only space. Uh, also, in new new car news, uh, the new 2024 Dacia Duster. So it's smaller than the Bigster, he says, stating the bleeding obvious. Um, it looks a lot like its predecessors. It's just been rounded off a little bit. Um, it's again, it's a good looking thing, by the way, Dacia doing good things, um, from a, a, a styling point of view. Um, and yes, it will, it will, it will start relatively cheaply. Uh, you know, the buy fuel 
model uh, that's available on LPG probably won't be sold in the UK. It might be uh, to fleet, uh, but you know it's it's that's more popular in in the Netherlands, for example, other places on the continent where where LPG uh, made bigger inroads. Um, there'll also be 1.2 liter three cylinder uh, version uh, with mild hybrid tech. Uh, and uh, some others. Uh, no longer any diesel engines uh, for Europe, although they will still be available in Africa. Um, but yeah, diesel engines, uh, according to Car here, we we're accounting for just 5% of sales. Uh, more important, I think, is that there's going to be a hybrid version, 93 brake horsepower, uh, 1.6 litre with a 48 horsepower electric motor. Um, aim is that it can drive around town in electric mode up to 80% of the time although to be honest you know that's just not a perfect town car uh, but it should be should be good for that kind of thing yeah uh, it promised to begin at less than £20,000 uh, in from sort of July 2024 uh, and so it'll be interesting to see just how how well that how much of the market that scoops up? I guess the cars that are going to be that that should be nervous about this are maybe some of the some of the the sort of mass market Nissans, Ford to an extent. I'm not so sure quite how much, but Vauxhall mockers that kind of stuff. Um, that should be competition uh, in there significantly cheaper. But then I look at pictures of the interior, and you know there will be some hard plastics. I don't think you're going to have to go grappling in the footwell uh, to find those. Um, but yes, I think it will. Uh, it's you're going to feel where some of that some of that money has has been saved. Nice thing about these, nice square uh, backs, super practical. Um, none of your none of your jacked up coupes going on here. I'm desperately trying not to use the term SUV anymore. By the way, that's why I keep hesitating. I'm trying to find another term to use. Uh, I'm kind of bored of SUV being being used generically as an insulting term. Uh, um, when it covers absolutely everything from the the Chevrolet, when it's been used for everything from a Chevrolet Silverado or a Cadillac Escalade right the way down to a Nissan Juke, I feel it's it's just too catch-all, uh, and it, it's it's just lazy nowadays. So I'm desperately trying not to. So apologize, apologies for my hesitations. Whilst I catch myself. Moving to points of interest, uh, lots and lots of talk this week, as I've already hinted uh, about uh, about pickup trucks. Uh, and what's a real pickup truck and what isn't a real pickup truck and what's a vanity project and what isn't. Uh, so I thought that, the, the, this, that this was a great opportunity uh, to have as this week's lunchtime read a piece on the Autopian by, uh, by car designer Adrian Clark. Uh, and it's titled why, GM, why General Motors GMT 400 Truck Design Remains Legendary 30 Years Later. And yes, I know that this is a US-focused article uh, to an extent. But I think that, that that what it contains is 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 relevant everywhere and shows just just what a really good looking vehicle a, a pickup truck could be. Now I'm <clears throat> I'm going to continue with my mantra that pickup trucks are bad cars uh, by very virtue of the fact that they're designed they should be designed for loads and not uh, and not people. Um, and that there's no storage space and 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 ironically um but this is this is a great article uh, i mean the first the, the the first the first paragraph has me by referencing sir terence to conran um the 
Bialetti Mocha coffee pot uh, swatch in the Nike Air Max 90s. So you're, you're well on the way to, to towards my heart there. But he's talking about how the GMT 400 platform, which is kind of the classic Chevrolet, um, 1980s uh, Chevrolet GMC uh, pickup, obviously brought us a Suburban, uh, ultimately the Escalade, although that gets a, gets a special mention in here. Um, just how how neat and uh, neat and well considered uh, the whole thing the whole thing was really interesting article um, nicely illustrated and annotated and well worth uh, uh, 10 minutes of your time uh, over lunch one day good article I do like that uh, list of the week is related um, because you know sometimes we try to, to, to stick in a production value or two uh, and it's the car world's most famous design flaws. Now, once again, it is an auto car slideshow. Uh, so, good luck. Uh, there's a number. There's 28 in here. Uh, the, yeah, I, I don't think that all of them count as, as design flaws. Some of them are just not great. I, I, I don't think that, that there's 28 here. You know, I don't necessarily think that uh, that the, the the Fiat Panda 100 HP being bouncy is necessarily a design flaw. I mean, that, that, that's true. It is. I owned one. Um, but my particular one, my particular choice from here is the... Uh, uh, has to be the Chrysler PT Cruiser convertible and the fact that it's impossible. To, almost impossible to get into the back seats. Not that you'd ever want to be seen in the back seats of a PT Cruiser convertible, um, because the seat belts uh, for the front seats are just always in the way. You have to climb over them, you have to climb under them, but the way that they are they are positioned from the roll hoop and down means there's no there's no neat way of of getting a of getting around them. Uh, you have to kind of clamber in an ungainly fashion over over them or loop through them. Um, mostly, that falls into my uh, into my uh, my practice of kicking a Chrysler PT Cruiser Cabrio anytime it's down. Uh, your mileage may vary. Go have a little bit of a look. Let us know if there's any particularly egregious one uh, in there which you could choose uh, choose instead. Uh, that brings us this week to the and finally. The and finally is from Haggerty. It's by Anthony Ingram. And it's entitled Ad Break. The Rover 100 was a limo in miniature in which Ant tries to, to discuss uh, very quickly the trope about a small car parked between big luxury cars uh, outside of, a, outside of a, a, either a stately home or a fancy hotel, in this case, the Burlington Hotel uh, in, in New York. Uh, and it's, it's interesting just talking about the, 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 the advert, one of the new, one of the adverts for the new Rover 100 series. It's it's a cracker. I like it. It's a, it's a nice little article. That just a couple of minutes, um, but yeah, nice to, to to finish off after you've after you've read the the lunchtime read uh, from the Autopian as well. Uh, I don't think I've got any parish notes. Anything else special? It's probably going to be a similar format next week. Just time zones and stuff make it really awkward for for guest presenters, and I, I don't like asking them to take time out of the middle of their day uh, to do the recordings. So hence, I'm sorry you end up with you end up with just me. Um, yeah, 
it's it's kind of the way the way it has to be at the minute i'm afraid uh so folks don't forget that between now and next week you can give andrew and i any feedback and share your thoughts with the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities uh, remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Uh, to get in touch with Andrew, you can search for Cracked Windscreen on Twitter and Mastodon. Uh, to get in touch with me, uh, Twitter or Blue Sky mostly, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B R A D L E Y. We'll be back uh, relatively soon. Until then, I've been Alan Bradley. He's been Andrew Clues, but he's not here and safe motoring.